Support for this podcast and the following message come from Coriant. Coriant provides wealth management services centered around you. As one of the largest integrated fee-only registered investment advisors in the U.S., Coriant has experienced teams who can craft custom solutions designed to help you reach your financial goals, no matter how complex. Real wealth requires real solutions. Connect with a wealth advisor today at Coriant.com. That's Coriant.com. You're listening to World Weekly, a conversation with Financial Times correspondents and commentators. Today, about great power diplomacy and the struggle against the ISIS jihadis. I'm Mark Vanderveld, Executive Comment Editor at the FT. In what Francois Hollande has called the war against ISIS, both Russia and Turkey say they are fighting the same foe. But they themselves saw armed combat this week in the skies above the Syrian border. Meanwhile, Francois Hollande is shuttling between Washington and Moscow, trying to enlist help from two countries that are deeply at odds over the regime of President Bashar al-Assad. So can they overcome their differences and make common cause against ISIS? Well, to try to answer that question, here's Gideon Rahman, Chief Foreign Affairs Commentator at the FT, and our US diplomatic correspondent, Jeff Dyer. Gideon, no one likes ISIS. Why can't the world agree how to get rid of them? Well, I think that it's true that ISIS don't have any friends, but if you look at the coalition of countries ranged against them, it's arguable that for many of them, ISIS actually isn't the top priority. So that for the Turks, say for President Erdogan, I would say that it's probably more important for him to combat the Kurds, who he worries are planning to carve out an independent state, including a chunk of Turkey, and who are gaining ground in Syria. And then after that, I think he'd probably want to see the fall of President Assad, who he has been dead set against really since the beginning of the civil war. And then ISIS probably is his number three priority. And similarly for the Russians, It's difficult to gauge. Is ISIS really their top priority? The people they've been bombing in Syria, we can see are mainly the forces fighting President Assad that aren't ISIS. Similarly for Iran, they have other agendas supporting President Assad and so on. So that's partly why it's so hard for all the outside powers to agree. Nobody likes ISIS, but they've all got different priorities. Jeff, it's fascinating to see Hollande shuttling between these two powers this week powers that really don't agree with one another, yet Hollande is trying to reach some kind of agreement with both of them. What can he hope to achieve, do you think? Well, I think what's sort of happened in the last week since the Paris attacks is Hollande initially came out and said he wanted to have this grand coalition of all the different countries trying to bring the Europeans, the Russians and the US together. I think over the course of the week, he's slightly moved a bit more in the US direction. And so what he's really hoping to do is first pressure the Russians to try and refocus their military campaign away from the anti-Assad rebels and more towards ISIS, and also to try and put pressure on the Russians to really get involved in the diplomatic process, to push through ceasefires that they hope to have in place in various bits of the country over the next few months, and then to really get to the very difficult question of what happens about Assad and to see if there really is any chance that Putin will be more flexible about the future of Assad and and see a way for a a post-Syria government that doesn't involve Assad. Those, I think, are the real things that he's trying to achieve this week, is to probe on those two fronts. Gideon, matters have only become more complicated since Turkey shot down a Russian fighter plane this week. Turkey, of course, a NATO member. I mean, a defensive alliance is supposed to make it easier to organise this kind of coalition. It seems only to be making it more difficult. Well, I think it was a pretty heart-stopping moment for uh, people in the NATO alliance, particularly the Americans and NATO HQ in Brussels, when this news comes through that the Turks have shot down a Russian plane, because you're getting very dangerously close, depending on how Russia responds, 
to triggering Article 5, which is the Mutual Defence Treaty of NATO. And NATO managed to get through the entire Cold War, as far as I can recall, without shooting down a Russian plane. And now they've just done it. And if the Russians were to respond forcefully, then you'd be in very, very dangerous territory. And I think that it highlights or it potentially highlights an issue that NATO has with President Erdogan of Turkey, who has pretty tricky relations with Washington and with the EU at the moment, is widely regarded as moving Turkey away, both from secularism and from democracy, not really trusted as a straight player. He's somebody who uh, is liable to say things the West isn't entirely sure where he's coming from. So would we be willing to go all in with Turkey if they were in a conflict with Russia? It would obviously depend very, very much on the circumstances. But it also brings into question this crucial issue of the credibility of NATO. Because if you don't back up Article 5, then the whole thing begins to unravel. Now, NATO has been discussing this question over the past year vis-a-vis the Baltic states. What if the Russians were to make a move, direct or indirect, against Estonia, Latvia or Lithuania? And there was already a pretty agonised debate about that. And now Turkey potentially raises the question of Article 5 again in awkward circumstances. Now, speaking 24 hours after this incident, it looks like all sides have decided to try and de-escalate it so that President Obama said, we back Turkey, but let's kind of play it cool As far as we can tell, the Russians are being reasonably restrained in the way they're responding, and President Erdogan also seems to want to play it down. So we may get away with it, and we won't have a major international crisis, but you could see the germs of it in what happened yesterday with the shooting down of the plane. Jeff, this must have been a question that Washington would have preferred to keep hypothetical. Are they ready for a possible repeat? I think that the general view in Washington and in most other Western capitals was that what the Turks did was maybe theoretically legitimate, legally legitimate, there are probably other ways to deal with it. And so I think they're very much encouraging the Turks to keep cool heads and to calm down and hope that the Russians do the same. I think probably what they're watching for is not uh, a direct Russian retaliation, military retaliation against Turkey, but more stepped-up Russian airstrikes against Turkish-backed rebels in northwest Syria as a way of exacting some kind of price on the Turkish government. And perhaps some sort of economic measures as well. You might see some sort of impediments on imports of Turkish food or maybe on Russian tourists coming to Turkey, something to inflict a little bit of economic pain as well. I certainly think people expect Putin to react in some way, but they hope that it'll avoid a direct military reaction against Turkey. And actually, one side angle of this was talking to a uh, former European defence minister yesterday, said to me, look, in a way, this kind of incident has been in the works for a while because the Russians keep testing NATO air defences. They keep violating NATO airspace. They've been flying planes down the English Channel in the past year. And he said, in a way, thank goodness, this was actually Turkey and Russia, which is a more peripheral member of the NATO alliance, rather than a clash with the UK or the US, which would have been much, much more serious. So there was a kind of a sense that the Russians might have had it coming to them in the sense that they've been taking these kinds of risks for quite a while. Not that I think that, as Jeff says, anybody was particularly jumping up for joy that the Turkish had done this, but they could see that the potential for a crisis with Russia over these airspace violations has been there for quite a while. You argued in your column this week that there were reasons now to consider a rapprochement with Russia to try to find a way of making common cause in Syria, at least. That certainly hasn't come any closer. 
No, although I think that there will still be a live debate about it. I mean, to put it very crudely, in Washington and in other capitals, I think there's a real division of opinion between those who say, yes, ISIS is a threat, but if you look at the big threat to world order, Russia is a state, it's got nuclear weapons, it's violated real fundamental norms in what it did in Crimea and Ukraine, it's changing its nuclear doctrine, it's building up its military forces it would be a huge mistake to take any of the pressure off them because Putin will just come back in a year's time with something else. And others who say, well, look, actually, if you look at the direct security threat to our citizens, it's ISIS, it's not Russia. And indeed, if we can find a way, find a common enemy with the Russians, maybe this is a way of diffusing this incredibly dangerous situation that's built up with the Russians. We can find some kind of common ground and they have backed off a little bit in Ukraine. We can build on this and get a better relationship with Russia. So they're very starkly opposing views. I mean, my sense or my view, what I argued is that it's at least worth testing whether you can have a better relationship with Russia in Syria. We've already seen that you can compartmentalize to a degree. The Russians and the West work reasonably well together on Iran. If they can narrow their differences on Syria, that's important in itself because Syria is such a disaster and so many people are dying. So it would be really important to try to solve that. And then maybe you could actually, if that worked, build out from that and get a better relationship with Russia. But as I say, I don't think there's any consensus on that in Western foreign ministries. So it'll be really tough to get people behind that policy. Jeff, what do you make of that possibility? I mean, the US, after all, was a leading power in dealing alongside Russia with Iran. It managed to do that at a time when things were only getting more hairy in Crimea and Ukraine. Could that sort of approach be more widely applied, do you think? Well, the first big test is whether Russia really does go after ISIS. I mean, when the Russian military intervention started building up in September or October, Putin said explicitly that ISIS was his main target. But since then, he's spent very little time attacking ISIS, and most of the Russian airstrikes have been on other rebels who are against the Assad regime. In a sense, what he's done has been to try to prop up and support the Assad regime, which is a very different thing than going after ISIS. So I think even the people in the US who think, well, maybe there is some prospect of some kind of cooperation say, well, the first test is he has to actually go after ISIS full-throatedly with his military campaign. Then the second question would be the whole issue about what happens to Assad. The US and Europeans would say that they've actually moved in recent months. They've shown some flexibility on this issue. They've put off the date where they would like to see Assad step down. They said he might have some role in some sort of transition but ultimately they need him to step down as a kind of olive branch of the Russians to try and find some kind of common ground. But they haven't got anything back yet from the Russians there, so they want to see something on that too. So if you were actually to get movement by the Russians on both of those points, then conceivably you might be in a stage where there is some kind of grounds for a greater collaboration. But until then, it's really a theoretical argument. Gideon? I think that the ISIS point is absolutely correct, that I think that the West will want to see Russia focusing more on going after them. I think the Assad question is an interesting one, because as Jeff says, actually, without really acknowledging it, the US has moved a bit towards the Russian position on Assad, has got rid of this idea, has got to go immediately. And at least some in the decision-making circles in Washington will privately say that they can see some logic behind the Russian position. As one former Obama administration official put it to me, the Russians say to us that we haven't yet demonstrated to them that what follows Assad is anything other than some combination of chaos and Islamism. And he said, you know, they might have a point on that. So in a sense, the West has got itself on a hook by saying Assad must go while sort of at the back of our minds thinking, well, however awful he is, we don't fully have a response to this Russian argument that, you know, are you sure that what follows will be better? So maybe 
there is further room for the West to move a bit closer to the Russian position. At the moment, the kind of consensus that people are looking for is something like a sort of stage withdrawal from just Assad and maybe a few cronies go at the end of the process, but you keep the state structures of Syria in place to avoid the mistake that people now felt was made in Iraq, where you just dissolved the state. Whether even that really works is open to question, because there are others who argue, well, actually, you can't really separate Assad and the regime. And if you take Assad out, the whole regime might collapse anyway. But if there's another move the West's going to make, it, it'll be towards that. Libya, of course, should have taught us this lesson that the Russians must be looking askance at what's happening there. Absolutely. I mean, one of the difficulties that the West has is while there's a lot of legitimate distrust of Putin and disgust at what he's done in Ukraine and a sort of sense that this is kind of a gangster regime in, in some ways, you know, occasionally one looks at things they say and says, well, actually, you know, maybe they've got a point, particularly in the critique. Putin's given numerous speeches. He loves giving these big foreign policy speeches. And there was one way he said, look, my Western friends, inverted commas, look at Iraq, look at Libya. You know, have you learned nothing about collapsing these states? You create chaos wherever you go. Now, the more... Uh, forceful Western people just dismiss that and say that's total nonsense, self-serving propaganda. I think some of the more thoughtful ones might say, well, you know, at least on that point, he's not totally wrong. All right. There, I think we must leave it. Many thanks. Jeff Dyer is the FT's US diplomatic correspondent. Gideon Rahman is chief foreign affairs commentator for the paper. I'm Mark Vandervelde. Until next week, that's World Weekly from the Financial Times.